everyone, my name is Alicia Webb. I'm a self-proclaimed news junkie. I love telling stories and I love helping other people tell their unique story. This podcast is a chance to hear from people who have pivoted in their lives and careers, taken that leap, struck out in a bold new direction, and never looked back. This is The Power of the Pivot. Abby Cannon was born and raised in the northwest suburbs of Chicago and moved to Nashville, Tennessee at the age of 18 to attend Belmont University. It was during her time there that she met her husband and now business partner, Tony Cannon, in the restaurant industry while working her way through college. Tony and Abby share a love of food as well as social justice. As an interracial couple, they have a perspective that not many can understand, and they have truly seen how we are all better together when we accept and love all people. Abby's career began in sales and management, mostly within the lending and banking industries, and most recently in the business travel industry, until COVID-19 hit. A pandemic baby, Abby and Tony's first company, That Rub, began due to her being furloughed. As they grew, they realized there was another area of opportunity that could help them market their seasoning blends. So their most recent endeavor is a food truck, Aunt Tina Soundbites, with the desire to unite communities through comfort food and good music. When it comes down to it, their goal is to bring people together to build community and appreciate our differences. Hi, Abby. Thank you so much for coming on. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. So in partnership with your husband, you have a business. It's called That Rub. What is That Rub? Yeah. So we are a seasoning blend and dry rub company, and we create and sell seasoning blends in different flavors and varieties for people to utilize at home for their food. So up to this point, you were in sales. What did your career look like before you ventured out and and started That Rub? Yeah. So when I graduated from college, I had a degree in vocal performance as in like music, vocal performance. And so while it was a great experience and I'm definitely a singer at heart, I'm also a, would like a paycheck on a regular basis at heart person. (laughs) And um, the, you know, circuit that you have to be connected with in the music industry just scared me a lot as far as consistency of income. And so my very first interview out of college was a sales job. It was like for a home improvement company or something. And I remember feeling confident in sales because my dad um, was an entrepreneur. And so he had had several businesses as I grew up and he would always kind of stick me on like the sales position, if you will. I was you know, very outspoken. I was in theater. I didn't mind talking to people. And so if he had a new product, he'd have me call the customers and offer it to them. And I typically had a lot of success and really loved the benefit of feeling good after people took what I had to offer. And so I utilized that in my first interview and just shared that like, yeah, I'm young and I just came out of college, but here's my experience within the sales industry. So that ended up leading to a job in the lending market for mortgages. Um, So my first about 10 years was in the mortgage industry as a lender um, in sales. And then after the market crashed in 08, I changed industries and went into banking. And so I became a branch sales manager where my job was really to be part of the community and to build relationships with businesses, small businesses um, within the, the town that I worked in to grow the banking relationships. And then most recently, prior to my entrepreneurship, I was actually um, working in the business travel industry. So, and we all know what happened with that once the pandemic hit. <laughs> Right, right. But you're okay, your your trajectory has been fascinating. So you were a singer and then you went into sales. 
How does that work? And are you still singing now? (laughs) I don't sing as much. Um, It's more of a hobby, I would say, than it is. It really, it's never been like a money-making thing for me. But coming out of high school, it was like the only thing I ever wanted to do. I had sang since I was eight years old in school. And also professionally, I was in a world-renowned children's choir um, called the Glen Ellen Children's Choir here in Glen Ellen, Illinois. And so I toured Europe twice. I sang at Carnegie Hall, all this stuff in my middle and high school years. And that was all kind of classical. And as I got more and more into it, my parents allowed me to attend some camps that were for specific genres. And I really loved jazz and blues. So I went to some jazz workshops and camps and ended up going to college in Nashville because of the program at Belmont University, which was a commercial music degree. And that's really unheard of. Most schools are going to give like a very classical opera, if you will, degree. And I just was not into opera. Like I really liked like the soul R&B, jazz, blues kind of genre. And I wanted a place where I could hone on that skill and not, you know, opera. And Belmont being, you know, in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee, you know, had this commercial music program where you learned everything. You learned, you know, R&B, but you also learned country music and bluegrass and rock, you know, a little bit of everything. So like I said, I did not go into that as a career. I continued to sing like in church. I did some weddings when I was in my 20s, stuff like that, but really kind of immediately fell in love with the sales industry. Just I'm a very, and I probably get this from my father as well. I'm a very motivated person when it comes to pay for performance. And so I liked doing well and getting paid well for it. And I had immediate success and wanted to continue on that. And in fact, a year into my first job, I said, I forget who it was, but someone said to me that what their salary was. And I was like, well, you can't make more than that. And they're like, no, that's like what I get paid regardless of what I do. And I, I just couldn't comprehend not being able to have the opportunity to make more by, by working smarter and harder. That's interesting. So you said your father was an entrepreneur. Did Mm -hmm. you ever imagine that you would have your own business? Was that ever something that you thought might happen? Uh, honestly, no. Um, partly because my dad was not around a lot. Um, (laughs) when I was growing up, I mean, he was around, but you know what I'm saying? He worked a lot. That's what you have to do as an entrepreneur. And so one of the things he owned was like perfect timing, right? He owned a dairy queen during my high school years. (laughs) So I was able to, you know, work there. I had my friends working there after school. It was kind of a cool thing, but that was mostly where I saw my dad was when I was working, you know, because he was, he was managing that and another business at that point. And I I kind of just said, like, I want a job where I'm just going to get that regular paycheck and I don't have to stress about having my own business and paying taxes. You know, it just to me, it kind of had like it was neat, but it wasn't something that I thought I would ever do. Interesting. But you along all the, these paths that you've taken, sales and singing, you were never in the food industry. And here you are now. Food food wasn't your first love. How did you become passionate about it? So a couple of things. I give a lot of credit to my husband. So he's from Nashville. He comes from a family that is deep, deep, deep line of people that cook amazing food. His grandmother actually was the head chef at Fisk University for 30 years, like made 
all of the food. So when you talk about her Thanksgivings, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's like, you know, we'll have maybe ham and turkey at my house and they have like five or six different meats plus 20 different sides. It's, it's crazy. But when I met Tony, I think he brings this up somewhat often, but I think the couple of things I could cook was macaroni and cheese from a box, breaded frozen chicken tenders, and maybe spaghetti. My That sounds like me. I mean, that's about what I can cook. So (laughs) my repertoire was not large. Granted, again, I had a dad that was, you know, at work a lot. And my mom had three girls. Um, I'm one of three. And so she just honestly did a lot of things that were simple. You know, she was feeding us it, but it was quick and easy. And that's just what I learned. And so Tony quickly corrected me because if you're from the South, there is no such thing as craft macaroni. No, you do not make, you do not make macaroni out of the box in the South. That's so true. Right. So, you know, he started to just teach me things and I realized really quickly how simple it was. And just over the years have learned and found a, a love for cooking. I would say prior to that, I'm definitely always kind of been a foodie. I've loved to like try new foods and go to new restaurants, things like that. But really the cooking piece of it. I didn't get the passion until I met him and started to cook more. And then honestly, once I had our, we had our kids, it was like, I was home in the evenings cooking for them. And so just kind of built the skill and became really proud of it. And I did come up, if you will, in the restaurant industry, it was more fast food, like with Dairy Queen and stuff like that. And then I waitressed in college. So I was familiar with what the industry, like how it enacted I wasn't necessarily like on the back of house side of things. I was more, you know, the server, the front of house, the customer service, that salesy kind of role again, which was comfortable for me. Whereas Tony really knew and was comfortable with back of house cooking and serving and that kind of thing. So Tony has a lot of experience working around food. So did he teach you to cook or what did that look like for you guys as a couple? Yeah, I think him and his sister mostly. Um, So Tony worked he was hired at the age of 14 by his aunt and she hired him on to fry chips as a high schooler at a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant. And he just kind of moved up from there and really liked the role that he had and just kind of grew into one of the head cooks. He was a griller on the like steak side of things at the restaurant that I worked at with him in college as actually how we met was in the restaurant. (laughs) But I think over the years, like food is a big part of I think Southern living in general, but specifically his family, like that is like a big part of what they do on weekends. It's like Sunday dinner is a thing. Like we would get together as a large family, not every Sunday, but a lot of Sundays and, you know, everybody brings something kind of thing. And Tony's sister really kind of took me under her wing too. And was like, no, you're grown. You have kids. You're going to bring something too. Let me show you what you make. (laughs) And so over time, you know, my repertoire just kind of got bigger and, I ended up, you know, cooking it again for dinner for the kids. And then it's like, oh, well, green beans is easy or I can make a pot roast or whatever it might be so that I eventually knew how to make a lot of things. I love that. But you guys went into the direction of seasoning. What mm-hmm. made you want to start a business there versus manufacturing meals? What 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 led you to, to the world of seasoning? Well, I didn't want to start a business anywhere. <laughs> But what led us to seasoning, and I do love it, I'm I'm half joking, but at the time I, I was really serious. I was not interested in it. So after Tony finished culinary school, 
the story goes that him and his uncle went out fishing. They went to some lake or something. And when they got back, they were super hungry. And um, they stopped at a grocery store on the way home. And his uncle said, I bet I can make a chicken that's better than yours. And he bought two whole chickens and he told Tony, get whatever seasonings you want, but mine's going to taste better than yours. So it was totally a, like a, you know, bet kind of a oh, thing. Right. So they were both really into it. And uh, I guess both the chickens ended up being really good. But ever since he finished that, he was kind of on a mission. So what he seasoned the chicken with was a lot of different seasonings and molasses. He wanted to have it to have like a sweet taste along with the rest of the seasoning. So he kind of like coated it lightly in molasses, if you will. And what he realized was that wasn't really easy to replicate. He loved the flavor of what he created, but it wasn't something that he could do easily and repeat it like at home and things like that. So he kind of got on this mission to create a seasoning rub that he could use just to use at home, like as something that would flavor our food, taste really good. I love that. Yeah. So he ended up eventually utilizing brown sugar instead of the molasses, which is what created our original rub. And once he tweaked and got it exactly perfect, we started using it at home, but also entertaining with it. And people would just be like, what is this? It's amazing. It's sticky, sweet. It tastes so good. You should sell it. You know, it was just like, we got the same reaction anytime we utilized it with people other than us. And this was like, gosh, back probably 15 years ago. And he would say to me, babe, we should sell this. And I'm like, we have real jobs. Like we're not selling (laughs) a packet of rub. Like we just use it at home, you know? So fast forward to, we kind of continued to use that. Nothing different. Just, you know, we had it, we would make it when we needed it kind of thing. He taught the kids how to make it. It was kind of a family secret, if you will. Mm -hmm. And fast forward to the pandemic and I was in business travel, which of course, there was none for a long time during that period. Um, I was furloughed and I very much knew that I'd, I'd have the opportunity to go back to that job, but I also very much knew that it was going to be a while before that happened. And so he just kind of nudged me one day and said, Hey, I'm going to buy these bags off of Uline. They're like for seasoning. And I'm just going to make some of our seasoning and you can put it on Facebook if you want, and we could try to sell it. And I thought, well, that sounds easy enough. I don't have much to do. You know, at that point I qualified for unemployment. So I had a small amount of income, um, but I had, I guess, kind of that cushion that I needed to feel comfortable enough to say yes. And he did, he made like 20 bags the first time. And I said, what do I call it? I can't just like put a bag on Facebook with a picture, (laughs) you know? And he's like, we're going to call it that rub. That's what it is. It's that rub. And I'm like, okay. So I like, you know, went to a local printing shop and had 50 labels made or something that my daughter hand drew the the logo for. I mean, we really started from like- This was really, it was bootstrapped. I mean- It totally It totally was. Yeah. So I just put it on Facebook and like the 20 bags sold in a day. And I really think that it was totally the right timing for this type of business. It was- everyone's home. You can't go to a restaurant. There's this big push to support small businesses because everybody that is in a small business is, you know, having problems and worried about the economy and everything. And I also, from the years and years of networking and being in sales and also living both in Nashville and and now in the Chicagoland area, I have a large network of people that I know and have good relationships with. So I think that helps too, to just like put it out there and say, Hey, you know, I'm not working. I was in business travel. This is just something we're 
we're really proud of. We'd love if you'd support us. And it was just overwhelmingly people wanting to buy it. So that's kind of how we started. Well, talk about your transition from being a sales leader to now running a food business. What were some of the things you learned? Because you were you were working for what a limo company or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, what, what, what was company? The, what was the transition like? Like, what did what have you learned along the way? So, I think that because I was furloughed um, the first few months, that really gave me an opportunity to learn a lot of things that I didn't know. Like, for instance, one I know that was immediate that took me a few weeks was. I had to figure out how to build a website. Like you can't function as a business nowadays without having something to send people to, to learn more. I had no experience in that, but I talked to a few people that said, Hey, they've got platforms. You can, you know, literally plug in your logo and your product, take a picture and it'll show up. And so because it's not my forte, it did take me some time, but I was determined. I don't have money to spend on a website designer. I'm going to figure this out. And I did. I think that what's interesting with Tony and I is that because I kind of mentioned I have that front of house experience and he had back of house, it was also kind of the same in that I had a lot of experience from a standpoint of a background in finance, a background in administration and customer service, where his background was more in like production and labor. And all of those things are so important, but we both like had experience in different parts of the business that were important. Right. So I utilized a lot of my skills to create a budget for the company to create, you know, how how is this going to look as far as shipping cost and creating pricing for our products and things like that. Whereas Tony honed in on like, okay, the last few customers have said we love this seasoning, but we'd like to have something, too, that's not as sweet like we love spicy. Or do you have something that's not as sweet, but similar? So we created, well, not we, he then was tasked with creating an all-purpose blend and a spicy blend, which that's totally his love is creating in the kitchen, not just making, you know, the same thing over and over, but creating new things. Um, And so I think we both were able to just use our skill sets that we'd learned over our years of experience and lend it to our new business to be able to create what we needed. That's great. And you guys are up to like seven different blends right now. Yes. So the first one was the original, the sweet, and then the all purpose, which is our master blend. It's actually the same recipe as the sweet. It's just 75% less sugar. And what's interesting is it gives it a totally different taste. It's a very like savory, all purpose seasoning. So it's really good on things like burgers, roasted veggies. We put it on, uh, it goes really well on, on the chicken just a really versatile blend. And then that heat is our spicy and smoky. And then we have a keto blend, which uh, has a sugar substitute in it instead of brown sugar. So um, it's all purpose as well, but it's low carb. That one came because my sister was on a keto diet and she was like addicted to our original and was like, please help me. (laughs) So we ended up creating that one. See, she's lucky she knew the creator. Exactly. Where else can you get someone to make something specific to your diet? Right, exactly. (laughs) And then our most recent two are our Caribbean Black, which is a blackening seasoning with a base of coffee, espresso coffee. It's my favorite blend, super yummy. And then most recently our salt-free. So we just had a lot of people that would come up to us at different markets and things like that, that had a diet restriction due to a disease or whatever, and would ask for something salt-free. And so Tony felt really led, like you always hear the same name for salt-free, right? Mrs. Dash. 
And nobody really says they love it. It's just what's available. So Tony really felt responsible. Like I want to make a good tasting salt-free blend. And boy, did he hit it out of the park. It is super, super good. Really good on things like even scrambled eggs. I love it on like, like sauteed onions. It just takes all the flavor in. You don't even need the salt or miss the salt. So that's been our newest one. And that was last August. So we've kind of decided we don't want to be the company that has 50 seasonings either. (laughs) We want to have a good variety, but we don't want to go crazy with it. So right now we're feeling really confident and comfortable with the varieties we have at seven. Most importantly, you are a wife, you are a mother. How are you balancing all of this? I mean, running a business, taking care of kids, how do you handle it all? You know, I think timing again is of the essence. Our kids are teens. So we have a 15 and an almost 17 year old. And I really do think that, you know, when we started the business, they were already at the age where they could help. We tried to really make it a learning experience for them. They initially, we self-manufactured our seasonings. We now use a third-party co-packer. But when we were self-manufacturing, they would come out and help measure the seasonings, help package them into the bags, help seal the bags. It was something that teens could easily do. And, you know, we saw big value in teaching them how hard work works and also just free enterprise. Like you could make a company for yourself and do well with it. And now they are helping with our new business. They're making money, they're on payroll. So they're able to, you know, create some spending income as they get to these high school years and want new shoes and everything else. So I think that's been helpful. As far as, as a wife, Tony and I have worked together a lot of our career. We met working together in the restaurant industry, but we also worked for some time in the finance world together. And then again, when the mortgage market crashed, we worked at a restaurant on the side for extra money. I was a server and he was a cook. And so we've just always really worked well together, which I think I've heard from a lot of people isn't the norm. But, you know, I think we we enjoy having those successes together. And I just try to balance it by, we always say like, we don't count our hours. Our companies are just like, they're part of our life, right? So we don't want it to overwhelm our life, but at the same time, it's like, if I've got to do some work in the evening, this is part of who we are as people. And our companies have bigger goals than just making money. And so for us, it's really fulfilling. That's great. Now you also, you teach cooking classes, you have launched a food truck. Talk a little bit about some of the other businesses and and why you've decided you want to launch more than just that, Rob? Yeah. I think one of the things that we learned from the pandemic is that not having all of your eggs in one basket is a really smart thing. And we've also decided from starting that rub that we really love the food industry. We've met just so many great, you know, other entrepreneurs, many that are couples like us. And I had an opportunity last summer that came up with this cooking school called Cooking Skills Academy to become the general manager. It was when I was still furloughed and just seemed like it made sense. It would open some doors for us as far as opportunities to maybe utilize it for that rub or for other needs that we may have. So that's been a really good fit to be able to, I've met a great chef, been able to meet more people in the industry and just grow again. What are my skills? Like this, the person that owns this has mentored me and helped me learn QuickBooks. So some of the accounting stuff that I didn't have under my belt, now I feel confident with. It's kind of like, I look at everything as a step to the next 
stepping stone, if you will. And if you really focus on relationships and people and caring for people, just doing the right thing, I find that I meet people that fulfill the needs that I may have or that I'm not as competent about. I'm truly a lifelong learner. I love to constantly be learning and trying new things. So entrepreneurship works for me really well in that way. And then the food truck came about simply because last year we just did a ton of vendor events and markets to sell our product. And we noticed two opportunities. One was that there was never enough food trucks in the suburbs, never. I mean, it would be a line all day long. And we would think, why don't they just add another food truck? It turns out as we met these event planners that there just aren't a whole lot of food trucks. There's just not a lot of availability. There's more demand than availability. And then the second thing we would hear from our customers is, why don't you have food that we can taste with your seasoning on it? And we would say, well, that's a really good idea, but we can't just do that at a booth like this. Like it's a whole business. You have to have, you know, all of the catering equipment and everything else and health department guidelines and licensing and all this. So we thought about just what would it look like to put those two ideas together? And what if we created a food truck that featured our seasonings? Could that be, yes, a second business with income, but could it be a business that could take our product and market it for us? And so most of our menu items do feature fat rub seasoning blends. We've got a great meatloaf um, that uses our master blend. Our chicken breast sandwich, you get to choose which that rub seasoning you want it seasoned with. So that's a really cool thing. You don't, you know, you can get that several times and it'd be different every time. What else? We use our sweet original in our pulled pork to kind of season that. So yeah, there's a lot of different things that feature our rubs and it fulfilled those two needs. And we had a full schedule before we even got the the food truck. Like we had so many planners that were like, yes, we'll have you at all of our events for the year. So we've been able to start off with a bang and and stay really busy. That's fascinating. And I also want to hear about this social justice element of, of your business. That's something that you and Tony have both long been excited about, passionate about. And and you launched your business originally in the summer of 2020 when a lot of this was happening. Yes. yes. Talk about why the social justice is just so critical to, to what you do. Yeah. I would say specifically racial equality is like a purpose in my life. And Tony feels very similar. So um, we are an interracial couple. We've been married for, it'll be 20 years this summer in August. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. But, you know, I think that living both in Tennessee and then coming up here and living as an interracial couple with two mixed race children, it's given us an experience and a perspective that is different than many people. Um, And we've observed racism firsthand. I observe as a white person being treated differently when I'm with my family than when I'm not meaning my family, my husband and kids, than say when I'm with my parents and my sisters. It is very blatant and obvious that our society has a big, big problem. And so this is something I've been passionate about working on and part of organizations for, I'd say about four plus years. And as we started the seasoning business, actually, this is the part I forgot about. So when we started with that rub and he bought those first bags and we filled them, I was on the board of the Justice Journey Alliance, which is a organization in the city of Chicago that basically seeks to bridge the gap um, between different races because everyone is aware Chicago has big problems when it comes to that and just 
the history of the city in general right, is terrible. Right. And so what we decided is because I was making unemployment, Tony still had his job through the pandemic is if we're going to sell these, let's give donation, a percentage of what we sell each month back to Justice Journey Alliance. And so for the first probably four or five months, we really had that as like our financial plan. And I would just cut a check at the end of each month, not necessarily for like a certain percentage, but in a way that's like, Hey, we sold this many bags. Awesome. We can make this good donation and help the organization that's working so hard to make a difference in our community. And so over time, you know, that wasn't like, we didn't have like a brand positioning statement that was about social justice. But as I learned more and more and did a cohort within, you know, the consumer packaged goods industry, it really made us think like, you know, wow, we can make a bigger difference through our company than we can as individuals. Yes, we can go to the marches. Yes, we can participate. Yes, we can call people out. We can do those things. But what can a business do and what potential audience can we have through a business? It's a whole lot bigger than just the two of us. And so we really decide like we want our brands to have this social impact mission, if you will. I believe it was like the fall of last year, this kind of came to fruition and we determined that we're going to have a new tagline and kind of rebrand ourselves as that rub better together. The thought process behind that is just simply like our seasonings are different spices blended together and they're better together than if you just eat one seasoning or eat and one you spice. Mean, and the better together also applies to people, right? We're, exactly. we're all better together. Exactly. So, um, you know, it's not just that tagline, it's literally us representing it through our product and then also representing it as a company through employment for minorities, through company volunteering for organizations that are seeking, you know, to make this change. And then also through sponsorships and donations that we continue to give. So we really desire to help people see a bigger picture. And, you know, I think that there is, we've talked about this, there's a demographic that wants this. They want companies to have more purpose than just profit. And so, you know, we really seek to connect with that demographic as well. Well, good for you for recognizing that. Thank you. What advice do you give to people who are looking to take the leap like you and your husband have? Because this is a, it's risky. Yeah. What do you say to people when they're like, I want to do that, but I don't know if I can. How do you prepare yourself for something like this? Yeah. You know, I think I was talking with our financial advisor at a meeting this afternoon and I was asking about some big leap stuff. Like we're considering getting our own kitchen, which would be a lot more expensive. And, you know, there's a lot of pros to this choice, right? There's also a lot of potential cons, kind of like when you're thinking about making a leap to a new business. And his answer to me, I think, is what I would say to someone else. And that is, if it truly has the potential for those pros, have a plan. It's a good idea if you have a plan and you can make those pros happen. So as an example, my thing with the kitchen is like the pros were like, we can save labor because we can have more room to store more food. We can buy food at bulk in larger bulk quantities, which saves us on food. I listed all these things, right? But it's like, okay, you're saying that, but what is the actual plan? Which items are you going to switch over? How are you going to you know, schedule your people so that labor is saved? Don't just have the ideas. Those are great, but put it on paper before you make the leap. Have a, a plan set up, at least a basic plan of this is what I'm going to do to get started. The other thing that I will be honest about and say truly helped us was work on credit. If your personal credit is not decent, work on it before you start a business. 
it is an investment. And unless you just have a ton of money sitting in the bank, our credit has helped us immensely. And we've been able to pay it back, but it was because we were in a good position that we were able to do the things we did to kind of help us take those next leaps, if you will, that can be very scary. And I'm more of the, you heard it from the beginning, I'm risk averse. I didn't want to do music because where's the paycheck? That's just my personality. (laughs) Whereas my husband's a dreamer and a creator. He's like, let's just do it. We'll figure it out. And I'm like, so I think that the plan and also, you know, making sure you have things in order financially, those are probably my best two recommendations. And then I think what I've learned too is take those leaps if it does make sense. You know, don't live life holding on because it's consistent. That doesn't necessarily bring us joy. That's that's brilliant advice. So my last question for you is what is next for you and for your business? You guys are going in so many different directions. <laughs> what are you going to do next? Like how do you top that? Like how do you top? We started a, a seasoning company at the height of the pandemic and now we've got a food truck. Where do you go next? Because it's all very exciting stuff, but how do you top that? Yeah. Um, well, we have ideas. Go figure. So, you know, a couple things. Obviously, the food truck has been our priority over the last few months. We just opened in April. It is in its full capacity. You know, we're booked through, I think, October, like just fully booked. Six That's amazing. We have a staff. So payroll is new to me. We never had employees with that rub. So we're learning even with this new business new things, having advisors, people like a financial advisor, a tax advisor, an attorney. We've had to hire on people in a, you know, project-based capacity PR, um, you know, to help us with these things that we're not necessarily experts about. But that being said, the the kitchen that we're negotiating with right now on um, renting uh, has already said that they would potentially see carrying our food products from the food truck in their restaurant. And so we think that might be a really smart way for us to move into the fall and winter when food trucks aren't as busy or can't function because of the weather. I think it'd be really cool to have a place that's like, hey, come get out Tina's sound bites at blank, blank, blank in Schaumburg. I think, you know, customers still want that food over the winter. So that's something kind of up our sleeve. And the other thing Tony's been talking about lately is I mentioned before we've met a lot of great couples and individual small business owners in the food industry specifically. And many of us are all at a point where we're growing. It's so awesome to see each other grow together, but we're kind of outgrowing the spaces we're in. Um, And so Tony has this vision of like buying some commercial real estate in a year or two and, you know, having a portion of it that's warehouse and storage and having a portion of it that's kitchen space that can be shared and just bringing us together, those of us that kind of started and have grown together and having a place that can fit all of our needs, if you will. But we would then be renting to them by purchasing the property. So that's kind of our next like dream goal that's down the road um, that we're kind of just exploring, I would say at this point. That is great. Abby, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me, Alicia. Thanks for listening to The Power of the Pivot. My name is Alicia Webb. If you have a story idea or a guest idea or just some feedback, you can reach me at brightspotpr.com. I look forward to bringing you the next conversation.